as we were saying before, we are getting very close to the end of Romans. We are in chapter 15 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first five or six or seven verses. Six verses. Let me read it for us this morning. And we who are, are, are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Lord, all of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with, a, with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will stop there. Uh, I do want to remind us this morning that Scripture is not disjointed as very often it comes across as being as the way that we've broken it up into verses and chapters and things like that and sometimes they have to wonder why in the world whoever did this and we're not even sure at what point in time that that someone had the idea that we should take the bible and break it up into chapters and verses just simply to make it easier for us to find our way through it but there are times when when it almost seems as though they've broken paragraphs in half and uh, and that sort of thing uh, but, uh, but chapter 15, and, and Paul continues in chapter 15 really with a mindset that he's been speaking about in chapter 14, and that is his encouragement for the church to be united and not divided. Uh, he's made references very often to those who are weak in the faith as opposed to those who are strong in the faith. Uh, and much to the chagrin of many, it seems as though he's talking about the people that very often church people might describe as being weak ones, as being the strong ones, and the ones who picture themselves as being the strong ones, as a matter of fact, being uh, the weaker ones. Amazingly. But he continues in that mindset as we get here into uh, this 15th chapter one of the things I want to bring to light this morning is this is very often I think people have tried to do this is this would be true with every other religion and that is that you can reduce every other religion at some point down to just simply a list of do's and don'ts in other words this is what you do and at the same time this is what you don't do very often people have tried to do exactly the same thing to christianity People that we would consider to practice a more legalistic version of Christianity would fall into that category where they, where they place a very great emphasis and importance on, on keeping and practicing particular rules. 
rules that sometimes have a good scriptural basis, but at the same time, sometimes those rules don't have much of one at all. And, and these people, even though they very often picture themselves as the most faithful, the most mature, do not understand that there are places where we need to not where we can if we want to, but places where we actually need to give our fellow brothers and sisters a little bit of wiggle room. The most mature people in the church are those who understand what the major things are, those things on which we cannot give one inkling of ground on, as opposed to those other things where we, in fact, can give ground on, things that we can consider not to be the major defining aspects of Christianity, but more minor factors. The minor things is what Paul is dealing with here in these passages in Romans. People have taken things, and based upon their own understanding, they have made what Paul considers to be minor things into major things that in their eyes are defining aspects of the Christian religion. There's division in the church, and division in the church, as we said last week, is a very common theme amongst the epistles of Paul. We said last week, the letter to the Corinthians is all about a litany of divisions that existed in the church. The Galatian church was divided. There's a hint of division in virtually every one of Paul's letters to churches. So where are you this morning? Do you see yourself as being one of the very great faithful ones? with the idea that the best thing that everyone else could do would be just to do what I tell them to do and go where I tell them to go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are we a church that understands that we can't give ground in some places, but at the same time, we need to be willing to give ground in things that are not quite so clear? One of the things I want to point out in in chapter 15, verse 1. Notice the pronoun there, and it is we. Paul has acknowledged himself to be one of those who really, truly is stronger in the faith. Now, that would be a precarious place to put yourself. Really. What Paul is saying here is, is, I am one of the stronger ones. Sounds a little bit arrogant to me. But we have to understand something. Paul has a whole lot to back it up. <laughs> he has a mountain to back it up with. Not just a little bit of this, that, or the other. He has a mountain to back it up. He is, there, there's an argument that could be given that there has been no one in all of history that has suffered as much for the cross of Christ as the Apostle Paul did. 
there's a lot of evidence that Paul, in fact, is one of the strong ones. That Christ, in fact, has set him apart to carry the gospel to the Jewish people. And you understand, it was part of Paul's commission. It was the words of Jesus, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But a very good argument could be given that no one has suffered near to the degree that the Apostle Paul did, not even the other apostles. Second, possibly only to Jesus Christ in his suffering for the cross. Let me read you what John Calvin wrote in regard to what we're reading. He said this, he said, the stronger that anyone is in Christ, the more bound he is to bear with the weak. For nothing impedes and checks acts of kindness more than when anyone is too much swallowed up with himself so that he has no care for others and follows his own counsels and feelings. There's something else that Paul doesn't allude to here, but I think is very important to our conversation here, and that is this, is we must also be sensitive to what's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is something that's spoken a lot about in certain circles of the church today, but not very often in reform circles. There are times when the Holy Spirit speaks directly to us, encouraging us to do this or not do that, or to speak this or not speak that. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And remember in Romans earlier on, Paul said that unless by the power of the Holy Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, then you will surely die. So we need to be sensitive always to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when it falls upon us. I'm going to give you a practical application of this. It happened to me just recently. Uh, we were at Presbytery, and let me tell you, I'm not someone to get up and talk much at Presbytery. The only time I get up and say anything at Presbytery is when I just feel con so convicted by, by it that I just have to say something. On the other hand, there are people there who would spend a whole day just talking if you let them <laughs> do it. But last Presbytery meeting, we had uh, as our moderator a guy named Rod Whited that I've known for years. He was one of the guys that mentored me to some degree when we first started planning Springs Presbyterian Church 26 years ago. And he said some things uh, really that challenged me and, and they helped me along the way, even though some of the things he said to me at one time hurt. But through the years I've had interaction with Rod, he, was, he, he left Central Florida Presbytery for a while and was in North Florida Presbytery up near Jacksonville. And when Lindsay and Justin lived in Kings Bay, Georgia, they went to a little uh, church plant there uh, in Amelia Island, just south of them. And Lori and I went one day, and Rod Whited was there. 
And so we had time to spend with him and, sh and share with him, and it was just encouraging to see him because he was probably 70 years old or close to it at that point. Uh, he had retired from the ministry, <laughs> and he was there working with that little church plant. He returned to Central Florida Presbytery a few years ago, but the guy is 80-something years old now. And it just turned out at the last presbytery meeting, I was on the examining committee, and I was the last person on the floor that was talking before we were going to be adjourned from our assembly. And I just felt really convicted. I'm sitting there, you know, almost terrified because, like I said, I don't say anything unless I have to uh, and that sort of thing, which you might think is kind of weird for somebody that does it all the time. Uh, but I just felt convicted. And it wasn't me. I was convicted. I'm, I'm, I'm I was convicted by the Holy Spirit that I needed to say something to thank this man for his service, his faithful service to the church year after year after year after year and now well into retirement. The fact that he can serve as moderator blows my mind because you have to keep in mind all kinds of uh, little details and this that and the other and he did it remarkably well and so I just felt convicted by the spirit and I'm telling you I tried to wiggle out of this I didn't want to do this but it was like you got to you can't just sit here and say nothing and so I did I got up and I thanked him and you should have heard the cheering and the clapping in the room at the end of it because I said what everybody else was thinking. And if that encouraged him one bit, hallelujah. I'm thankful for a lot of the older people that we have that continue to work diligently in doing matters of the faith. Certainly we're an older church. There's no doubt about it. We have a great bunch of elders. We have a great bunch of deacons. But let me just tell you this. That when we believe that it's the Holy Spirit convicting us, we need to make sure that it is and it's not actually our sinful self that's encouraging us. Because it will in fact do that. It's doing that all the time. Remember that sinful self that's still within us from Romans chapter 7? It's still there. It's still whispering in your ear, do this, don't do that. Say this, don't say that. So we need to be very careful what we do and what we don't do and make sure that it's the Holy Spirit prodding us and not that sinful nature that's prodding us. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning, and I hope that I don't upset anybody. It's not my intention to do that, but I would think I would be uh, not being faithful to my calling if I don't address some particular things, considering the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Unfortunately, we live in a time where there is a real possibility of great division being created in the church over this COVID thing. 
be very easy for the church to kind of divide into two groups. Each group, by the way, believing that they are the one stronger in the faith and the one who cares more. Now let me tell you, I heard a, uh, I heard a tape last night that someone sent to Lori, and, and I agreed with the person to a point, but not all the way through it. This was a person who basically his message was church get back to business, forget about all of this stuff, the, the, the governing authorities don't pay any attention to what they're saying to you, etc., etc., etc. The church needs to come back, it needs to get back to its business. And I'm, he said this, I'm tired of people bringing up Romans chapter 13 about being submissive to governmental authorities. He didn't mention the fact that Peter says basically the same thing and Jesus says the same thing too. I would imagine with all of my, my heart and soul that that person sees themselves as being one of the very strong ones of the faith and he's looking down his nose upon everyone else as being weaker than he is. Because let me tell you, he completely lost me when he said, boy, just forget about Romans 13, that this has got nothing to do with a picture, because it in fact does have something to do with a picture. That wherever we are, it has to be, there has to be a balance here. And that needs to be the reason by which we are doing what we're doing. Never out of arrogance. Never out of the belief or understanding that I am being more faithful because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and so-and-so isn't. And let me tell you something else. I'm very tired of hearing people say, if you are meeting for a church, if you don't want to wear a mask, if you don't do this out or the other, then you simply do not love people as much as I do. You understand, understand what I'm talking about here? We're talking about people that are making statements that they should not be making. It would be very easy for people in this room to begin to think more highly of themselves because they're willing to take the risk to be here because worship is so much, that much importance to them. At the same time, it would be very easy for people who are not here to begin to believe that we're doing what we're doing because we just simply don't care about other people. And let me tell you, there's a possibility that either group could be right when it comes to certain people. But to make blanket statements about brothers and sisters in Christ, because we need to understand that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are truly brothers and sisters in Christ who are in churches this morning, and we have a lot of them that are not. In reform circles, we don't very often talk about what we call Christian freedom. 
We need to understand something, that Christ has given us freedoms. He has released us from certain things. How many of you ascribe to the strict dietary laws in the Old Testament? Does anybody here? Well, why don't you? It's in the Bible. Why not? Because Jesus told us we didn't have to do that anymore. You see, this is the ground of what was going on in Corinth and very much conceivably in Rome. That there were the holier than thous who believed that if you ate any meat that was ever sacrificed an idol, then you were committing sacrilegion. In other words, they were ready to declare you weren't even a believer if you were willing to do something like that. Those were the he people who believed that they were the strong ones. That they were strong in their faith because they weren't willing to do that. Now let me ask you something. When you go to the market and buy meat, has it ever one time in your mind, across your mind, whether it was sacrificed to an idol or not? Probably not. So what I'm telling you, it'd be really hard for you and I to take that and apply it directly to the manner in which we live our lives. Now let me say this to you. It is conceivable that you actually have done that unknowingly. Because there are people today that continue to do the silliest thing in the world, and that is to make animal sacrifices to, to idols. But we don't even talk about it because it's not something that we're concerned about because we have no reason to be concerned about it. And that's why I brought into the whole picture of his drinking alcohol in moderation, acceptable or not. Because that is something that we can take and apply the same principle to in the, in the circumstances we find ourselves in. There are people, there are a lot of Christians today that believe if you ever let alcohol touch your lips that you have committed almost an unpardonable sin. And they believe that the Bible teaches that, when in fact the Bible does not teach that. The Bible very clearly condemns drunkenness. So if you're drinking to the point you get drunk, then you are sinning. But get over it. Jesus and the disciples drank wine. So if you're willing to make that statement, you're basically declaring that Jesus and the apostles were sinners. They sinned when they did that. Maybe some of you are drinking too much. If that is true, then you in fact are sinning and you need to be done with it. You're taking advantage of your Christian liberties.
So my caution for us is this, is as far as this COVID thing goes, we need to be very careful the conclusions that we might draw in regard to other people. Seriously. Don't let this become a dividing point. It's not worth it. I am looking very much forward to the Sunday when we will have the whole family back here. But I want the whole family back here when the whole family feels comfortable being here. And not until. So if you're comfortable being here, wonderful. But if you're not, that's wonderful too. Verse 4 here in 15 is very important. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. That, my friends, is not an endorsement of all the ancient writings that so many people are dependent upon today. So the all does not mean everything that was ever written. It's a direct reference to the Old Testament scriptures. One of the things that we consider early on is this, is there's a sense in which when we live in the age that we do, that we in, in, indeed are the most accountable of all people that have ever lived. And that increases with every generation. In other words, it's not that we are less accountable than the, 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 the people in, in the first century church. There's a sense in which we are actually more accountable for a couple of reasons. Number one is we have the, the, we have the Word of God readily available to us. It's there. We've got it in our hands. We can read it. We can study it any time we want to. That hasn't been true for most of the people in the world for most of the history of the world. Not even the New Testament world. You guys have heard the Protestant Reformation. Do you understand really what really caused the Protestant Reformation more than anything else, a thing that stood out more than anything else? It was the fact that the church itself had withheld the word of God from believers for centuries. You want to know what Calvin and Luther and all these people were really upset about most than it, more than anything else? That was it. The position of the church was that we will study it, the clergy will study it, and then we will tell you what it says. But they did not encourage it. As a matter of fact, they, in many cases, they, they willfully, purposely withheld it from the people. They didn't want the people to read it. They didn't want the people to study it.
But we have the Bible so readily available to us today that no one has an excuse of saying, I never could get my hands on a Bible. They're all over the place. How many coffee tables in the United States do you think there's a Bible sitting on the coffee table? And some of those are church-going people, and some of them not. So there's a sense in which we really are a lot more accountable today because the Bible is so readily available to anybody and everybody. It's just, there's... One of the things we need to be doing, and, and this is one thing, one of the things that Ligonier Ministries has really gotten more involved in, in in more recent years, is that is sending Bibles to places that don't have the Bible so readily available to them as we do here in the United States. One of the things that Dick and Barb and, and we encountered when we went to Uganda was there were, there were Wycliffe Bible translators there. What were they doing? They were translating the scriptures into the spoken languages of the region so that those people would have the same advantage that we do. But I would say to you this morning that, that Paul probably is alluding to even more than that, and that is this, is, is we have another advantage, and that is that we sit on the other end of 2,000 years of church history. That we don't hold to the same level or same esteem as we do Scripture, but it does have value to our understanding of things. And hallelujah for the Protestant Reformation. That was a historical event. Has encouraged us in our Christianity. What do you think the message is going to be to those who come after us? as to whether we dealt with this COVID thing in a godly fashion or an ungodly fashion. Well, I'd say that for some of them, it's not going to be very clear because the church has managed to, to, to fog it up very much. We're all about the Word of God, and it's not just about reading and studying the Word of God. It's about actually doing the Word of God. We should always be looking for avenues by which we can take biblical principle and apply it to the particular circumstances we find ourselves in. And let me tell you, if the church fails during this, it's going to fail because it's failed to understand its role. Because there's two functions of the church. First is for the benefit of those who are part of it. The second is for the benefit of those who are not. It's very easy to forget about those who are not.
the church, the, the world out there is watching what the church is doing right now. And it's getting a mixed message. Because what it's hearing very often is church people condemning other church people who because they're not coming to worship services. But that's not all of it. They're also hearing from church people who are not coming to church who are condemning those people who are because they simply don't care as much about people as I do. So what are they going to conclude? What conclusion do you think they're going to come to? That the church is this unified body with a common understanding and belief in this, in, in Christ, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are people out there going to look upon us and say this, look at you, you can't even get your own message straight. And you want me to believe it? So what's going through your mind right now? Have you passed judgment on others in regard to this? Even though they don't see it just like you do? I've heard it come from some of your mouths. Uncomfortable, isn't it? But sometimes the Word of God makes you feel that way. It needs to. Don't let this divide you from anybody. Don't. It's not worth it. Paul says a little prayer here in the fifth verse. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. Same mind, same heart, same love. Don't let this virus become between you and your brothers and sisters, period. Amen.